Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick, who are dedicated to helping manufacturers and distributors to enhance their competitive position and succeed in high-pressure trade environments. Visit them online at coneresnick.com. Meet the Manufacturers is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts from. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. Welcome along to the latest episode of Meet the Manufacturers on behalf of Manufacture CT. Today, I am speaking to the head honcho. That's true. I have got Paul Lavoy on today's Meet the Manufacturers, who is the state's chief manufacturing officer. I'm excited to find out more about the role, about him, and about all the good things going on here in Connecticut. So, Paul, without further ado, welcome to Meet the Manufacturers. Thank you very much, Claire. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, we're lucky to have you. It's great to have you on board. So come on then, tell me a little bit about you and your career. You have got the big job now. I'd love to know how you got there. Tell me a little bit about your background. Sure, be happy to. So I come to the chief manufacturing offer position through manufacturing, of course. Ran Carey Manufacturing, a manufacturer of catches, latches, and handles in Cromwell, Connecticut. Tagline, latch on to us, we can handle it. Love it. And Kerry was a catalog manufacturer with 900,000 parts. Kerry's claim to fame was we reshored one of the catalogs from China to Cromwell, Connecticut. Started that in 2016, and they're still working on it now. They probably have about 85% of the catalog being manufactured in Connecticut and adding over a million dollars to the supply chain here in the state of Connecticut as well. In addition to our workforce development efforts, we had a rather unique approach to workforce development, and we were proud to say that we were fully and happily staffed at Kerry Manufacturing. Prior to that, I worked through another manufacturer in Connecticut called Edder Engineering Company, which was a process heating and combustion company where we built furnaces and ovens and many other products around electrical control panels, natural gas boosters, regulators, and other things for the natural gas industry. And then before that, I've owned a couple of businesses, spent a good portion of my career in corporate America with some larger companies and very senior roles where we actually would grow the company and then have someone come in and purchase it. So I had a couple of opportunities to go through some really major acquisitions before I decided to strike out on my own and start to buy some businesses. And, you know, some of those businesses that I worked with in one of my, I own a business consulting firm and in that firm, uh, some of those businesses were manufacturers as well. Probably over the last 10 to 15 years, my career has been around manufacturing and growing manufacturers here in the state of Connecticut. Wow, it's an illustrious one. A question then is, did you always plan to work in manufacturing? Were you were you one of those kids who took things apart and didn't quite put them back together? How did you uh, get no. into No, uh, I'm the one who took it apart and then would try to find somebody to put it back together. Yep. Uh, more, more of that. I really come to the job from a business leadership role and through the business leadership role came up kind of through sales and marketing organizations. So in some of the large companies that I worked for, I was executive vice president of sales, customer service, marketing operations, you know, kind of a sales marketing operations standpoint. And then actually one of the businesses I owned was an advertising agency. So just kind of have this eclectic background. I always say that we don't always get to choose the path we take in life. 
as it relates to our career, but we should always be open to new and exciting opportunities. So the folks at Ed Engineering, when I owned the marketing agency and I had worked with them when I had business consulting firms. So I had been working you know, around them as manufacturers for years. I say in this job, my only regret in my career was I didn't find manufacturing sooner in my career. So wow. I was really in lots of other disciplines, but when I hit manufacturing, fell in love with it. And it's led me here to be the chief manufacturing officer of the state of Connecticut, of which I'm thrilled to be in this position. It's a fabulous position. And there's still hope for me then. I'm still messing around with advertising, marketing, and uh, the ilk. So, uh, so this still You can be anything. You, Claire, you can be anything you oh, want when you grow up. This is going to turn... This is going to turn into a career's advice for Claire. No, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good. I must say I was quite green when it came to manufacturing. I met the guys at Manufacture CT and they excited me. I was excited about their industry, about where it was going, about what they were creating, about the way they treat their employees and passionate about this state in particular. So the natural progression was, of course, Meet the Manufacturers, the podcast, and it's been a huge success. And it's been absolutely, genuinely fascinating speaking to some of the manufacturers on board and a part of Manufacture CT. So it's been a real learning curve for me too to learn about some of the products and the rich history we have here in Connecticut. So tell me a little bit then about what is the role? You're the head honcho, so you're the chief manufacturing officer, but what do you do, Paul? That's a great question. Look at, at kind of the evolution of the chief manufacturing officer position in, in Connecticut. So it was created in October of 2019. Colin Cooper was hired as our first chief manufacturing officer. Yep. There is no other state in the union that has a chief manufacturing officer that has direct access to the governor. So there is no blueprint for this job, no job description. As Colin would say, the first couple of days he sat there and said, okay, what do I do? Like, what does the chief <laughs> manufacturing officer do? Much to the benefit of the state of Connecticut, we had Colin in the role when the pandemic hit because Colin spent his two-year tenure in this job really navigating the manufacturing ecosystem through the pandemic. And we yeah. would not be in the position that we are in today, which is a very exciting and, and very strong position if it wasn't for Colin's leadership. So mm -hmm. I get the benefit of, I call it standing on Colin's shoulders. So I get the benefit of coming into an ecosystem that is now coming out of the pandemic. The vast majority of the manufacturers that I talk to have plenty of work to do. They just have some challenges. We have some challenges that we need to address. So my job is really, you know, I've been on a lean in, listen and learn tour where I'm out visiting as many manufacturers and stakeholders as I possibly can within my first hundred days or so, just to truly understand what some of the issues or concerns are that are facing the manufacturing ecosystem. So my job is to be able to grow the manufacturing ecosystem in the state of Connecticut. One thing we know is we know that manufacturing jobs are multipliers. For every job that we create in manufacturing, it creates over three jobs in the economy. So my job is to really make sure that we have a very healthy manufacturing ecosystem and that we have the opportunity to grow manufacturing in the state of Connecticut. I have the resources of the state of Connecticut available to me to be able to help in the achievement of that, we have a manufacturing innovation fund meeting today. And one of the things that we voted on was the development of a strategic plan for manufacturing for Connecticut. So that's really gonna define what we're going to do in the state of Connecticut to grow manufacturing. And that'll help us evolve and help really kind of solidify what my roles and responsibilities would be. I'm glad I asked. It's kind of fluid, isn't it? I like that though, because it opens the door for innovation and a really fresh pair of eyes if you like, on an entire industry. 
Yeah, and it does. It allows me to move in the direction that we want the ecosystem to move in, right? I'm not really constrained by any expectation of really what it is that we need to do. I get to move in the most nimble way to be able to address the issues and concerns facing our manufacturers. And let's face it, Paul, you look like you could move quite nimbly across a dance floor. I like my good self. (laughs) 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 So come on then. Thank you. (laughs) I'll leave that to say, I've been known to cut a rug or two at, at one of my kids' weddings. So, yeah. <laughs> Good boy. Uh, okay, so let's be serious. What are the manufacturers telling you? What are the challenges and problems of doing business in this state? First and foremost, it's about workforce development. And it really is about making sure that we have a healthy pipeline of people that are going to be available to work in manufacturing. You know, in Connecticut, we have a little bit of a numbers problem in that, you know, we have 117,000 open jobs and there's 86,200 people on unemployment. Now, that doesn't include people that aren't looking for a job, so that number's a little bit more, but it's still, there's a math problem here where if all of the unemployed people were put to work, we still don't have enough people to fill all of our positions. So we need to really look at a couple of things. First and foremost, we need to make sure that people who go to school in Connecticut don't leave, right? We wanna have some programs in place where we can keep people here in the state of Connecticut. If you learn in Connecticut, I want you to earn in Connecticut. So we're really focusing on how do we build bridges between our education system and all of our manufacturers so that if you're an engineering student or if you're a manufacturing student in one of our community colleges or if you're in one of our technical high schools, we want you to know that there's a job for you here in the state of Connecticut in our manufacturing ecosystem. And we wanna be able to make sure that we're building those bridges between those manufacturers and those educational institutions so that we're making sure that we're developing curriculum and teaching people the right skills so that when they go into the manufacturers that we're gonna have easy adoption and be able to accelerate their learning curves. So we need to do that from a workforce development standpoint, as well as change the hearts and minds of people about manufacturing. You know, manufacturing is not your grandfather's dark, dingy, mm-hmm. you know, dank, smelly, oily business anymore. We're Advanced manufacturing is high tech, it's clean, it's mean, it's green, it's it's exciting, it's very, very different environment, and we need to change the hearts and minds of parents, educators, guidance counselors, and students. You can have a very, very nice career and a very nice life in manufacturing, and just because you work in manufacturing doesn't mean your education is ever going to stop. You're going to continue to learn and grow and to have an exciting career. That's problem number one. Yeah, and it's it's something that I hear a lot on this podcast, you know, is, and a number of my questions have been geared around it. You know, what are you looking for on the resume of a potential employee? You know, what skills and attributes are you looking for? What trade schools are you working with? Do you have affiliations with? You know, these are all questions that I ask manufacturing companies week in, week out to try and understand, better understand the gap here and how big a gap it is. And The figures that you quote are quite incredible, 117,000 jobs. That's not just manufacturing. That's across the entire ecosystem. But my point on that is if I win, right, if I fill all the manufacturing jobs, somebody in Connecticut's going to lose. Hospitality, healthcare, technology, the pie is just not big enough. So, So we need to make the pie bigger. And I really like your learning Connecticut, earning Connecticut. Why are people leaving, do you think? Well, various reasons. I think that not everybody that goes to school in Connecticut, especially in our four-year universities, is from Connecticut. Some kids are looking for jobs back home. I think a lot of them leave because we can do such a better job of making sure that we build those bridges. 
I mean, they're going back to where they can find a job and we need to make sure that they understand that there's a job here for them in the state of Connecticut. So I think we just need to do a better job of connecting the education system to the manufacturing community. That'll help keep people here in Connecticut. Like it. What other problems have you encountered on your travels? Some of the other issues are around supply chain and just really the total disruption with COVID around manufacturing supply chains, you know, just in time, you know, we spend all this time and energy to put in just in time purchasing systems and just in time manufacturing systems. And then they get, you know, a pandemic comes along and we have shortages. I mean, I was with a manufacturer yesterday. They can't find black pigment ink for one of their printing functions. It's Willington nameplate and they do nameplates and they can't. So everything that works on black ink is all backed up now. And now it's a 10 week lead time based on when they think they're going to get the ink. As I talk to manufacturers, they're making decisions around inventory and saying that, you know, I've had a hard time getting this component for my assemblies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy twice or three times as much as I normally would buy. And so what's happening is, is inventories are going up and work is not moving through the process quick enough. So you're having all these cash flow issues now and cash crunch issues that are really being created by these supply chain disruptions. And you're going from just in time to, God, I hope it comes in when I need it kind of stuff. And then, you know, having parts that are 95% assembled and then put on a shelf because we're waiting for one component. Anybody that knows anything about manufacturing, when you get something 95% built and you put it on a shelf, good things don't happen while it's sitting on the shelf. You want to be able to move this stuff through your system and, and get it out and get it into customers' hands. Supply chain disruptions are really having an impact on our manufacturers and their ability to deliver parts to their customers. And then we're really starting to see the introduction of automation and some innovation and efficiencies and productivity improvements. That's going to be one of the answers to the workforce problem is to be able to answer that with increased productivity through automation and other areas of innovation. So as in my role, I need to be able to expand the thinking of manufacturers in the state of Connecticut by introducing them to new technologies and introducing them to new ways for them to increase productivity on their shop floor. So we do that by creating some centers of excellence around the state. We have some already where people can go and sample, for example, and go to CCAT and then go to the additive manufacturing lab and see five of the seven technologies that are currently out there. So we're gonna look at, you know, how can we bring 3D printing and additive manufacturing mm-hmm. into the state of Connecticut? And then also, you know, our industry 4.0 working group and how can we accelerate the adoption of industry 4.0 technologies in the manufacturing ecosystem? So I need to make sure that I'm expanding the thinking of our current manufacturers and exposing them to new technologies. Cause I know once I do that, they'll figure out how to best use it on their shop floors. So I need to be the one driving the thought process. They'll see the utility value of the new technology on their shop floor. So those are common themes that we're seeing out as I go out and visit with manufacturers. And the huge potential that that offers as well. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's education for potential new employees, people returning to the workforce for for young people leaving education, but also education for the manufacturers that, you know, of, of where the industry is going and how they can perhaps solve some of their issues and make themselves, you know, more profitable and more efficient, as you say, using the latest technology. That's exciting stuff. That's really exciting. Are there any other big issues such as, I don't know, taxes, managing healthcare and things like that of their employees? They're things that come up quite often in, in the podcast. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we're not a low cost state. 
we have high energy costs, we have high labor costs, we have high you know associated costs with that as well. So we really have to look at ways that we can make it more cost effective to do business in the state of Connecticut and look for ways to make it easier to do business here in the state. Certainly the governor understands that and drives some initiatives. We need to continue to work with our legislature to make sure that we have a business-friendly environment where we can encourage people to continue to grow. You know, as manufacturers, we're always looking on how to take costs out of the business and our business processes, because especially when you talk about people, I mean, investing in people, investing in their training, investing in compensation, investing in other programs is really a manufacturer's best resource and best asset to be able to do those kinds of things. And so, you know, we're going to continue to do that within the state of Connecticut from a labor perspective, but really looking at some other cost drivers to be able to help manufacturers reduce the overall cost of doing business here in the States. There are certainly areas that we can take a look at to help drive costs down. Brilliant. I know I interviewed a managing director of a company a good few months ago now, and I said, what are you most looking forward to in the next five or 10 years of running your business? Very successful, multi-generational business. And her reply to me was, get in on Medicare. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, how how true, you know? Yeah, that's the reality of it, you know? And, and there have been other businesses which have stayed below a certain threshold because of the healthcare implications. And it's just like, these things potentially are holding them back from greater expansion. The, the business model itself is fantastic, but sometimes they feel a little bit hindered, I guess, by being in such a you know an expensive state to do business, but you get the quality and the heritage of being a, a manufacturer here in Connecticut. We're high cost, but we're high value as well. The workforce in Connecticut and the knowledge and skills of our workforce is our greatest asset. And that's worth a tremendous value. It's interesting, Claire, you, you bring this up. When I was running carrier manufacturing, there would be things that would happen on the international level that would have an impact on our business. And I would sit there and go, here I am in Cary, you know, Cromwell, Connecticut, trying to run a little manufacturing business and yep. steel availability and the price of raw materials is going up because of geopolitical things that are happening that have nothing to do with the state of Connecticut. And really you know, almost nothing to do at the federal level, they're international things. Mm -hmm. But, and that's the thing with manufacturing, from international to federal, to state, to local, there are always going to be issues that'll impact manufacturing and manufacturers are resilient and they are very flexible, resilient, but continually driving innovation to make sure that we're driving costs out of the business because you're just getting hit from really a lot of different angles as it relates to some cost pressures. So The resiliency you talk about is Absolutely phenomenal. I've interviewed a huge number of companies since the pandemic, and many have fared rather well through the pandemic in actual fact, you know, and perhaps now they're suffering a little bit with supply chain, but they've done exceptionally well. But one of the things I've really enjoyed over the course of the last two years has been really understanding the stigmas around manufacturing. You talked about it earlier, you know, it's not that dirty, dark place that your grandfather used to work that was unsafe and unsanitary in some places and and just not a pleasant environment to work it couldn't be further from the truth and and one of the things i've really enjoyed breaking down is that stigma that this is i love what you said clean green mean and high tech i mean that sums it up i mean some of the programming and the, the experience and technology used you know cnc milling for example is remarkable. It's a very different world and a very exciting world than what sometimes you can muster up this image in your mind of manufacturing. Breaking that down, what are you doing to further break that stigma, I guess? Through the Manufacturing Innovation Fund, we have an initiative called the Hearts and Minds Advertising Campaign. And then through the Office of Workforce Strategy, Dr. Kelly Valeris has 
resources available for the same things. And one of the great things that's happened in Connecticut is that, you know, Kelly had her bucket of money and her ideas, and I had my bucket of money and my ideas. And we said, hey, let's put our buckets together and have one big idea. <laughs> and let's really try to change hearts and minds. In other words, let's just knock down a few silos along the way. So we're doing that. We're right on the cusp of really, you're going to see a rather large and long in duration campaign that really is going after all of those different stakeholders to really talk about what advanced manufacturing is, what that means in Connecticut. And we're going to do that through storytelling, uh, really telling some stories of some people who the 20 year old that's making $70,000 a year while his or her contemporaries are in college occurring $70,000 a year in debt. Who's going to buy the house first, right? Mm -hmm. Their first house first. And yeah. which one is really better off? And it's really around the concept, Claire, of our education system should not be college prep based. It should be career prep based with going to college being one of those career paths. You know, for example, I have a son who's a CPA. He had to go to college and he had to go to advanced school and he had to study for the CPA and he had to do all of that. But that was what he wanted to do. You know, I have a brother who's a truck driver. And if you compare, you know, their lives, if they both live kind of similar lives, they've chosen different paths but those paths have worked out very well for them and they've been very successful in them. And there's no one path for everybody, but there is a right path for everybody. Mm. And I think we need to start letting people know that if you go to a community college and study manufacturing, and if you go to a technical high school and study manufacturing, you are equal to, you're not less than somebody that's going to a four-year university. Mm. And trust me, when you get a job in manufacturing, I will guarantee you that your education is going to continue and it's probably going to continue at a level greater than if you go to a four-year school and, and come out into the workforce because manufacturing is evolving on a regular basis and with new technology coming in manufacturers are investing a significant amount of money in the continual training of their workforce because they have to uh, just to meet the changing demands of manufacturing so we're really looking at those kinds of themes and those kinds of stories to really be able to just change the perception of manufacturing and to really let people know that there is a really great career path. You can have a wonderful career in manufacturing and enjoy a wonderful life by having a very strong career in manufacturing. I love that. We often do this podcast with a member of the senior management team and somebody either on the shop floor or, you know, uh, somebody who's newer to the industry, should we say. And that's exactly the case studies, if you like, you're talking about, because I've got them firsthand. So many examples of women and men who have come into manufacturing. They weren't sure what they wanted to do. There is this expectation that, you know, you need a four-year college degree to do anything. There is, you know, that that is the pinnacle. It couldn't be more wrong. I have met some incredible individuals who are excelling in every area of their career. Financially, yes, of course. They're usually into mm -hmm. the workforce a little bit sooner, therefore, you know, getting themselves a little bit more stable earlier. But they're thriving and really enjoying it and enjoying the ride because, like you said, manufacturers have to continue to invest in their people to evolve with the new technology because they have to. It's a great advert for the industry and certainly for the state. It's a rewarding career because you get to go home and you say, I made something today. And this is yeah. where what I made is going. I left a manufacturer this week. They're making probes that are being dropped on Mars and they're collecting samples and they're going to be picked up and brought back to Earth in 2031. Right here in Connecticut. 
mind I'm like, blowing. Are you kidding me? Like this is in Connecticut, so it's just stuff. incredible. I've got to be honest. I really have been enjoying it. Literally thirty minutes ago, I was interviewing a gentleman, and they make plates and rods to put people's bodies back together to fuse their backs and you know broken bits of your body. And I'm just like, wow. You know, what did you do today? Actually, I helped somebody walk again. You know, yeah. that's, that, <laughs> I'll take that. You're exactly right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. So, so on a more personal level, Paul, has your career been everything that you hoped it would be? I love the fact that it's taken a few twists and turns along the way. And I'm sure you've picked up so many skills in different industries to get you to this point. But has manufacturing delivered for you in the way that we talk about it delivering for these young people, people returning to work or looking to get into manufacturing? It certainly has. I am delighted and thrilled to be able to serve in this capacity as the chief manufacturing officer for the state of Connecticut. I feel like to some degree that you know, my path certainly has led me here to this opportunity and the opportunity was presented to me at the right time in my career as well. As my wife likes to say, I was tragically born without a rearview mirror, but I have a very oversized windshield. <laughs> <laughs> which means I love to look to the present and the future, and I don't really ever look to the past, but I always appreciate the lessons that I've learned along the way and the opportunities that have been presented to me that have gotten me to where I am today. So having somebody with a marketing background and the chief manufacturing officer, as well as a manufacturing background, certainly is beneficial because a big part of my job is communicating. It's leaning in, it's listening, and it's being able to then take that information and to be able to come up with ways that the state can help grow manufacturing and then to be able to communicate those ways to the whole manufacturing ecosystems. So to answer your question, I've loved my career. I've loved everything I've done through my career because it's gotten me to where I am today and, and I love where I am today. I really am enjoying my role as chief manufacturing officer. I've got to say, Paul, you are super refreshing. You really yeah. are refreshing. And I think Thank it's you. that mixture of a background, isn't it? And being able to bring those skills and communicate so effectively across all of the different levels, if you like, of manufacturing, the ecosystem, as you call it. What would you say has been your biggest success, both professionally and personally in your careers? There's certainly been a great deal of success through my career professionally, but the one that is the most recent one I'm very, very proud of, and that's the experience at Carry Manufacturing. So Carry Manufacturing is a family-owned business of which I am a member of the family. So Jack Carey and I are married to sisters. You know, Jack and I both had the smarts in life to marry the Leone sisters. So I went to work with Jack Carey and his daughter, Allison, who's my niece, and then his other daughter, Melissa's husband, Mike. Allison was already in the business and then Mike joined the business. And the idea of joining Carey Manufacturing was for me to be able to grow and develop and mentor them into the next generation of leadership at Kerry Manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And as I told Mike and Allison when they first started, and this was you know almost five years ago now, as they were sitting in my office, I said, someday I will work for the two of you. Someday I'm gonna be working for you and, and I don't know in what capacity, but my job is to prepare you to take over the running of this business. Yep. And so I spent four and a half years working closely with Mike and with Allison and really not knowing what my future would hold, right? Just knowing that I was going to really help them understand how to run Carey Manufacturing as Jack Carey was looking to, at some point in time, retire and be able to turn the business over to the two of them. So when the chief manufacturing officer position became available, 
Mike and Allison were ready. So it's a great example of an intentional succession plan, knowing that I was going to make myself irrelevant. And when this opportunity was presented, there were five promotions that were done at Cary Manufacturing, including Mike Fitzpatrick to general manager, Allison Cary Lynch to director of quality and external relations, Jim Peck to vice president of operations. We uh, took a, a gentleman, Steve, made him director of engineering, and then Sierra Green took up a lot of my sales and marketing responsibilities. We had hired Sierra as a business development specialist. She became business development manager. So I had spent time developing that organization so that when I left, they didn't have to replace me. So it was a succession plan that was well executed and they're enjoying now record sales. And I know that they will have the best year that they've ever had. And I just feel very good about teaching and training and growing that organization and watching them now succeed. And, you know, they know I'm always here to help them if they need it, but they don't need my help. They are so equipped to run the business and they're in their thirties and they're going to be running this business for the next 30 years. And I take great satisfaction knowing that I had a part in teaching them and training them and helping them grow and letting a family business have a second generation and a legacy for the next 50 years or so. Yeah, that is amazing. One of the things I've really enjoyed is uncovering the stories of some of the manufacturers here in Connecticut. I think the most I've got is six generations, I think, is Mm. is as far back as I've been so far. But it's fascinating that the the journeys that people take as well, because a lot of them are like, nope, I am not working for the family business. And like this great Connecticut manufacturing umbilical cord, it lashes back and suddenly in their 30s, they end up working for the company business and absolutely adoring the place where they probably swept up when they were teenagers. So it's been fascinating. What about your biggest success personally? Oh, that's a really great question. I don't know if this is cliche or not, but you know, I'm entering the phase of my life now where you know my wife and I had four children. We both worked very hard as a team to raise those children. They are all adults. I have a son who has an MBA from Johns Hopkins University, another son who's a digital producer at WWE in Stanford and has a great career there, daughter who has a social worker and psych ward of a hospital. And then I have a son that's a CPA. You know, I look at how my wife and I work together to kind of create an environment where they could really maximize their full potential. And now we get to move into, you know, weddings and grandchildren phase. And so, you know, it's a... (laughs) Just as expensive, Paul, just as expensive. (laughs) No, I know. But my wife and I were talking actually the other day about some things that like when she gets together with her college friends and they tell stories and she says, I don't remember those stories. And I told her, I said, well, you don't remember those stories because you and I have lived such a charmed life. And she started laughing. She goes, oh, yes, of course we have. From a personal perspective, it really has been that kind of journey. And then the ability for me to be able to do a lot of things from a volunteer standpoint and perspective that started with getting involved with things with my kids and then have really kind of involved the passions for me. So I run a hockey program. I've coached hockey for 25 years and I run a hockey program now. And I'm actually now have, you know, kids of kids I coached that are coming through my hockey program. Everybody's always laughing that, you know, when they go to the hockey rink, everything's changing except Paul LaVoy's still there. Um, So um, I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. Part of Um, the furniture. And just thousands and thousands of kids that I've been able to teach in hockey and then watch them go on to coach or to watch, you know, again, have their kids come back. So 
those are some things that I've been able to do that kind of started with my kids and then continue to grow and expand. And, you know, I'm on the board of United Way and, and my uh, coastal Fairfield County. So it's a great way for me to Amazing. take some of the success I've had and be able to build up communities and build up other people's. I'm a servant leader. I really strive to kind of serve through my you know, leadership, through serving greater causes. And from a personal perspective, it's been the ability to, again, just create an environment where my kids could maximize their potential in partnership with my wife. Those things have never been easy, but you work through those together and then just be able to give back to the community as well. I love that. What a success. I have a one-year-old son, so I have a way to go just yet. I mean, I've been celebrating the fact that he's still alive age one uh you, you've set the bar considerably higher I was like, we've kept him alive for a whole year we're doing all right that yeah, you're doing just fine remember there's no there's nobody wrote a manual on how to do this so you know one of the things you just brought up was hockey of course brings me on nicely to my next question i've only got a couple more but when you're not working or volunteering or with the kids or doing what you do what do you like to do to relax obviously i've written television sports you watch hockey as well as coach interesting. I don't spend a lot of time watching television at all. I do enjoy watching football. When I'm not doing any of that, you know, things I do to relax, I love to go to the beach. So my wife and I have a house in Old Saybrook. So we spend summers there and we're planning on moving there full time. So I love to be on the beach. I love to read, especially history. I'm a big history buff. So I like to read a lot of books around history. Again, spend some time on the beach in the wintertime. Not much of a beach person, but, you know, I would like to try to get a walk every day and get some exercise in every day and, and try to stay a little bit healthy. Don't really have a lot of free time, <laughs> but when I do, really try to kind of sharpen my saw as well, too, to make sure that I continue to grow and continue to learn. I like that. Sharpen my saw. I need to do yeah. more sharpening mm -hmm. of my saw, I think. I like that. I'm going to slip that into another podcast. Watch this space. There you go. Last question from me. If people want to carry on the conversation, you know, if they've got a problem or they've got something that they're dealing with, I guess, in their business at the moment, and they think, where do I go for help? Is that what you're there for? I mean, do they literally reach out to you? Or is there like a layers of people that they need to go through to get a bit of guidance, I guess, around their own business? Now, if you're a manufacturer or you're in the manufacturing ecosystem and you have a question, issue or concern, you can reach out directly to me. I'm an office of one, but yet have the full disposal and resources of the state of Connecticut at my fingertips. So I am here to support the manufacturers and the manufacturing ecosystem in the state of Connecticut. I'm really easy to find. I always tell people that if you can't find me, you weren't really looking very hard. <laughs> my platform of choice is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So if you really wanna know what's going on and where I am, where I'm going and what I'm doing, follow me on LinkedIn. It's Paul S. Lavoie using my middle initial. So it's the best way to be able to do that. I get LinkedIn messages every day, and then I usually move them over to my email so that we can have a more meaningful discussion. And I can also have, if there's any scheduling issues, I have some help with my scheduling. So anybody wants me to come out to visit or wants to set up a meeting or that, I'm very accessible to anybody in the manufacturing ecosystem that really wants to look at how I can help them grow their business here in Connecticut. 
Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you today and super, super refreshing. And I don't say that lightly. Do get in touch with Paul. Go on, fill his inbox on LinkedIn. He'll love me for it. <laughs> Make sure you look it up. Paul S. Lavoy on LinkedIn. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really hope that we get to have a chat again in a few months time and to, to find out what projects you're working on and how it's going. It's been fascinating seeing things from a, a slightly different perspective. Well, thank you, Claire. I enjoyed our time together. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT, or you would like to join the organization, visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, advisory, assurance, tax. Visit their website, coneresnick.com. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode and want to find out more about the vibrant and thriving manufacturing community in Connecticut, subscribe to and share this podcast today. Meet the Manufacturers is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.